Welcome to all of you whose ears are open to hear this message, to those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. Only reality can satisfy the very core of your being. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those that are new, I just briefly want to share <clears throat> that I do not spend any significant time preparing a message. That's because I want God to speak through me by his spirit to minister to you as an individual who in God's foreknowledge has come to watch this message or to hear it. I do iPod messages as well as video messages. This one will be both. There's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 4 that says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will endeavor to speak not my words, but the words that would come by God, by his Spirit, to you as an individual and to the corporate body of Christ. In that, in Duver, I ask God to lead me to a particular chapter almost every day of the week, usually by the casting of lots before God. And if one's life is pure and they're not doing it as a light thing, as a game, I can testify time and time again of God's sovereign power, which I have faith in, that leads me to the right chapter. I spent a half an hour meditating on the chapter after I cast lots or if the Holy Spirit impresses on me a particular message or passage. And then in that half hour, I also write a few notes and immediately after that, give the message as I am today. Today is a very special day because it is the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And yes, I could just begin speaking on the Feast of Tabernacles, and there's much to say on that. And many of you that know more of what's going on in relation to the body of Christ around the world also realize that today was the second blood moon that appeared. Yeah, it was early this morning that it appeared. I'm not going to get into much explanation on this, except that there has been two blood moons that have appeared in one year. That is very rare, and whenever that has happened, there has been major events that have happened in history, and in particular in Israel. And these are blood moons that appear on the feast. Today is the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's been very rare that there's been two blood moons that appear both on the feasts of Israel. One in this year was on Passover, and now this one on the Feast of Tabernacles. Very rare, and I'm not sure of the accuracy of how rare. I think the other times it only appeared in once in a year, and that the last time was when Columbus, the major event was Columbus discovering America, which came out of the persecution of the Jews in Spain. 
But here we have two in one year, not one. And on top of that, two in the following year. 2015, also landing on the feast. So we know that these are signs of momentous events that God will begin to allow to unfold upon the earth, usually in relation to the nation of Israel. Most likely that will be the case. I'm not going to get into talking about that in this message. <clears throat> Today I received Galatians chapter 3, and I will read that chapter, and then after that, I am going to trust the Holy Spirit to bring forth what he wants to say from the brief notes that I've made within this half hour of meditation upon this chapter, what he would say to the body of Christ. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth nor addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds out of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ, 
And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But if God gave it to Abraham by promise, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Once in a while, I need a drink of water. When I start my messages, I discover. Okay. In Galatians chapter 3 here, we see that the Galatians were bewitched. They were deceived. In fact, if you look up the meaning of this word, bewitched, it has the understanding of to malign, and by extension, to be fascinated with something in the sense of a false representation. A fascination with something that you think is real and right, but is actually a misrepresentation of what it really is. Who hath bewitched you? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Holy Spirit said through Jeremiah the prophet. And if you read the context of that verse, you discover that the emphasis is very strongly on faith, on a relationship of trust towards God. And it points out that those that do not trust God become like 
a tree that is withered that is no longer drawing from the water. So Paul is very concerned about the Galatians here because there's a deception that has crept into their hearts through those that have suggested something that seemed so appealing. But it was not appealing to their relationship with God. It was appealing to their own soul in independence from God. And as I look over this whole chapter of Galatians chapter 3, I see that the emphasis is on a relationship with God and what the secret is in maintaining that relationship with God and growing in it and overcoming the deception that would cause us to be bewitched and drawn out of a relationship of fellowship with God through his Holy Spirit. And so Paul the Apostle in Galatians chapter 3 brings out their deception, what the root of it is, in this case in relation to the law and all its ceremonial smaller laws besides the Ten Commandments. And he says in this first verse here that the Galatians actually had such a focus on the atoning work of Jesus Christ that it was as if he was set forth in their midst as crucified. And he's contrasting this to the deception of them finding their focus deviated into a focus on keeping the law. Whether they literally wanted an image of the cross in their midst with Christ crucified on it, or whether they were just very focused in their devotion and their songs and whatnot on the atoning work of God in Christ. Either way, he is emphasizing you've lost that focus of your relationship in God. And he says here in verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And I just want to point out in the first five verses basically what I summed up in my brief time here in meditation before we get more into verse 2 here. The deception of a relationship of fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit and then ending in the flesh happened when there happens when there is the f- failure of receptivity by faith towards God by a deception to focus on what feeds self over God that brings hardness of heart towards hearing God we're all very familiar with Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 that the reason they did not enter into 
our relationship with God and fell into unbelief and disobedience was because of the hardness of their hearts. And it emphasizes very clearly, clearly in that chapter, that because of the hardness of their hearts, they could not hear God's voice. I will just turn to it briefly and maybe mention a few of those verses in relation to the hardness of heart. For example, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. So the hardening of the heart is what causes us to no longer hear the voice of God. And there are many other verses in both chapter 3 and chapter 4 that bring out the danger of failing to hear the voice of God. For example, in chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There therefore remaineth a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. So we need to understand the importance of overcoming the deception of our own heart to focus on something that may seem to be so appealing in our desire even to please God and to serve God. In this case, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can become an idol also. When they become the focus in order to please God over our relationship with God, when our performance becomes the focus rather than our relationship with God, performance to please God, But the focus is on self, for whatever we trust in is where we're putting our focus, our worth, our glory, and thus our worship. And so intellectually, we can be convinced that we are worshiping God, that we are pleasing God, but in our heart, we are worshiping self. Because our trust is in our own performance before God, which allows us to glory in ourselves. It's a state of self-righteousness. We see this deception, which is a basic principle that is seen in all religions that make their focus performance in independence from God. There are those that have philosophical religions, such as ones that believe that through meditation, somehow they can get rid of their ego. 
But really what happens is they refine their ego beyond the comprehension of their mind. And in the process, there's usually a depersonalization that happens. They become like zombies. They lose their individuality. And even there's a belief that heaven is just some vague thing which is indicative of what's happened to their soul. It's lost its creativity, its personality. You cannot get rid of self out of self, for you are not the source of reality. If you try to crucify yourself, there will be always one hand free. And so there are many forms that this basic principle works in, which is a bewitching to be in a state of idolatry and also per, to project out of one's heart an idolatrous image of God that is not who God really is. It is possible to start out with a right relationship with God, to actually enter into a genuine, reciprocative relationship of fellowship with God through his spirit, which has been imparted to one, and then to be deceived, to enter into this deception of self-sufficiency, of mere performance, and lose out in a love relationship with God. So I want to point out a better understanding of the secret to walking with God, which is by the hearing of faith as opposed to our own performance. In this case, they lost their focus in the law. Now you will notice that in the Old Testament that there were, or in the pre-Christ scriptures, some prefer to call it that, that there were many verses that emphasize that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our being, and with all our strength. And they're often in the context of keeping the Ten Commandments. And often you will find that when there is that emphasis before mentioning the Ten Commandments or the commandments of the Lord, there is also not only the emphasis on loving God, but on fearing God. I want to share with you about how the fear of God births a genuine faith relationship in God that allows that relationship of fellowship, that abiding of fellowship in God to grow and increase. The Word of God says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. In the case of the Galatians, they started out rightly receiving Christ and having a wonderful focus of their relationship with God on the atoning work of God in Christ, in his crucifixion before them. But they fell into a trap of deception. 
that led them out of that fellowship with God. And so the secret lies in the way that we have first received Christ to so continue in that same way that we received Christ. And it is found in the fear of God. There are many verses that emphasize that it is in the fear of God that there is the secret of our relationship with God. For example, it says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and to them he will show his covenant. If God's going to enter into covenant with someone, that's because he's found a relationship that's genuine and abiding with that person that has brought it to the place that he knows he can enter into marriage with them. Similar to when a husband and wife, before they get married, they are going together to get to know each other to see if there is a genuine reciprocative relationship. And when they know it's there, they want to seal it in a covenant of marriage. It is very clear from Galatians that from the very time of Adam and Eve till now, people have entered in to such a relationship with God. We have Enoch that had such a close relationship of fellowship with God that he was translated. We have Elijah. We have men of God like Abraham that knew an intimate relationship of fellowship with God. And so in wanting to explain to you about the fear of God, which is the secret to entering into this relationship, and I'll give you another verse on that. It says, He that abideth under the shadow of the Almighty... He, no, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God overshadowing us with his presence because we enter into a relationship with fellowship with him. We enter into a secret place, the secret place of fellowship. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. In Isaiah 33, we also see that in, even in the triunity of the one true God, there is this mystery out of the fear of God. I know the verse. I don't need to turn to it, but why not turn to it? Isaiah 33. It says in verse 6, and this, concerning the Messiah, it says, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. And then it makes this statement. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, if you look at verse 5, this is evident that it's talking about the Messiah. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And then it says, the fear of the Lord is his treasure in the next verse. There are many other verses that make it very clear that Jesus Christ and his relationship with the Father delighted in the fear of God. The fear of God, I will briefly explain. It is a choice 
But it's not merely an choice to have an intellectual ascent. It is a choice that involves a deep turning in the heart. To acknowledge God for who he is in such a way that we are totally reciprocated in our heart to who God is. And, and receive who he is into our heart. There are verses that define the fear of God. It says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snare of death. And there are many other verses. And I have a book I'm writing on the fear of God and I could go into a very in-depth detail here on all of this and need to be careful I don't. To emphasize what this message is on. The fear of God, I said, is a choice to recognize, to focus on who God really is to us. And there's two aspects in focusing on God. The Word of God says that God is love. In 1 John, it says it twice. God is love. So I want to define for those that are new in particular, and even many Christians, what God's love is, because it is the very being of who God is. This is a love that is more than a mere feeling. This is a love that involves a choice from the heart that is totally free, because love is not something that is just some input from an outside source, like a computer might have. It involves a total free choice. We were not created as robots. We were created with the capacity to love, to have our own free choice, to be totally self-originating, but that also makes us totally self-responsible and the creators of our own destiny through our free choices. But with that quality of freedom to choose, that is one aspect that is very important for there to be love, total freedom of self-origination. But God's love is always choosing the highest lasting good over any more immediate fulfillment that would be less than that. And that is basically a definition, a root definition of the highest form of love, agape love, which is described in the Bible and is the one that is used to define God in 1 John as God is love. As such, God's love has total purity, total integrity to be a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that would be less than choosing the highest lasting good, that would be a blazing fire of judgment against anything that would be against God's love or would be less than God's love. This total freedom to choose the highest lasting good. As such, this aspect of God's love is 
the holiness of God, the defensive aspect of his love that requires judgment. It is the holiness of God. It is the foundation from which God can burst forth in creativity without corruption. We don't have time to go in here and explain, well, when, why did he create man with free will and why does, how can that be right if there's suffering and hell and all of these things? I just want to emphasize right now that this first aspect of God's love the holiness of God can be the symbol, the negative symbol in electricity for a good illustration. There are negatives and positives and everything in creation. Things function on the basis of negatives and positives by attraction and repelling and so on. The negative is a symbol of a foundation. It's the symbol of cutting off what is against that love and this foundation, this negative symbol is from which there springs the creativity of God to go on without corruption and greater and greater enlargement and greater and greater in fulfillment and never end. This creativity was ultimately manifested in God revealing a love that's so pure in this holiness that it can be transcended or spring forth with the power to provide mercy without violating its integrity of required judgment. There are many verses from in the Old Testament that make it very clear that God is the source of forgiveness. And it is also very clear at the same time that God cannot tolerate the slightest iota of what is contrary to his love. It is also very clear from both the New Testament and the Old Testament. For example, in the New Testament it says that they acknowledge that the blood of animals could only cleanse the physical realm. And it is very clear throughout the Old Testament that there were many that acknowledged that. God required for their, them to reciprocate his forgiveness to lay their hand on something such as an innocent lamb representing purity as a symbol of their sin being transferred onto that lamb and the lamb was killed as a sacrifice representing atonement for their sin. But they realized it could only cleanse the physical realm. But that was allowing God's spirit then, through their physical body being cleansed, to dwell with their soul and a spirit, but not to be able to indwell their soul and spirit. Because an animal could not represent their soul and spirit to cleanse it from the contamination. They knew at the same time that God was the source of forgiveness. Very clear in many verses throughout the Old Testament. And the New. And so, the implication is very clear that that points to the fact that forgiveness lies only in God. They acknowledge that. 
And that clearly implies that he must therefore have the moral capacity within himself of such a love that is so great that he can actually become a perfect atoning sacrifice for us, for his creation, that is tempted by outward things and deceived to rebel. Unlike the angels and others that went against the direct presence of God's spirit without temptation. And that's another topic in my book. You can read about it when it comes out. Won't be for a while yet. Um, could be another six months or possibly more. Um, so, the Christ said it this way. He said to his disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So the evidence of having an intimate relationship of knowing God, not just intellectually, but with one's heart, was in the Spirit of God dwelling with them before Christ died and indwelling them after Christ died because then the soul and spirit could be cleansed. So that allows for the indwelling. You, I'm going into this to bring out these two aspects of the being of God. The first aspect is the holiness of God, out of which springs the power of God to show mercy and to assure forgiveness, and therefore to be able to assure to his creation destiny to those that repent and receive his perfect atoning sacrifice. Yes, God humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. Think about that. Let that sink in. So that you could receive his forgiveness and have everlasting life and relationship with God that will go on into greater and greater realms of love expressed in creativity and enlargements of fulfillment that ever increase throughout eternity. Corporate bride is what God seeks. And those that would of their own free will choose to reject his provision of mercy, his provision of forgiveness, would refuse to repent and receive his mercy and his forgiveness. They're like the parts of a building that don't want to be part of the building. Stones that don't want to fit in and form a habitation for God to dwell in. That don't want to be part of a corporate bride that God wants to inhabit. God is not going to negate the existence of such a glorious eternity without end in love because of those that of their own free will choose Otherwise, they are the source of their own action and responsible for their choices, not God. And that is insignificant, all the suffering in hell itself, all of that in hell going on forever, in torment, in separation from love is why there's torment. Love is the very source of life and of fulfillment. And they say that the torment in hell is worse. The, the, the worst 
possible torment you could imagine in this world from those that have died and seen that realm. That we can't comprehend in our natural selves in this present realm. But we know that God's love pales and his purpose for a corporate bride pales as insignificant in regards to this. So there are two things that in the fear of God are recognized. The absolute trustworthiness of God because his being is holy and will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary to his love. And out of that, the absolute greatness of God's love and mercy to be able to assure forgiveness to those that repent and receive it. Those are the two aspects that when one comes to that place of being open to, they will begin to enter into a relationship with God. The prodigal son, through the pressures of his own wrong choices that brought him to the place of poverty and emptiness and seeing the deception of his heart, was brought to a place of desperation where he was cornered to recognize and loathe the deceptions in his heart and the emptiness in his life and the deceptions of all those around him that were in emptiness and the false philosophies he believed that left him destitute and were empty so that all he wanted now was what was ultimately trustworthy. And so he was open to truth, which is of an essence that is ultimately trustworthy. And the only essence and quality that is ultimately trustworthy is a God whose love is totally pure as a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary, and yet therein transcended with the power to assure mercy and forgiveness to his creation. Only such a quality can contain unlimited life and unlimited power without being corrupted by it and implies that he is the very source of that life that is unlimited in power and able to hold it in a state where there is total goodness with no corruption or destructibility in it. Even science points out the first and second laws of thermodynamics. The first law says that matter can't be destroyed and implies that therefore something must have existed without a beginning and had no beginning. It can be changed into different states. It can become gaseous or like a solid metal, but never destroyed. The second law of thermodynamics, a well-established laws of science in the whole observed universe, says that anything left on its own will always go in the direction of order and chaos to total destruction and randomness. Well, when people choose to reject the love of God, they are left on their own, and there is a corruptible state within their soul that brings death rather than life. God is the source of unlimited life with no corruption. What is reality? Well, if you look up in the dictionary the word truth, or you look up in the dictionary the word, let's say the word truth. Truth basically means that's that which is real if you look it up in various dictionaries. You look up the meaning of the word reality in various dictionaries, and it basically means that which cannot be changed 
that is unchangeable, that is everlasting. Reality, ultimate reality, is who God is. There, an ultimate reality has no corruption in it. If it did, it would not be everlasting. If it did, it would be changeable. But God will never violate the integrity of his love to judge sin. He will always judge sin. He will always judge that which is contrary to his love. He is the very source of reality, the very ultimate government of this universe, and everything in this world points towards him being that. Because these two laws of thermodynamics indicate that in the infinite past, by the first law, which says there's no beginning, and the second law that says we should have been reduced to chaos, that we should have been reduced to total chaos in the infinite past, and yet here we are in a highly designed universe with things that are so complex, which I can't go into now, such as the complicated machines that are discovered in every cell in our body or plants. Machines that are so complicated that they are more complex than a space going than a spaceship going into outer space, landing on other planets, reproducing itself, and spreading throughout the universe. If you read the book in Darwin's Black Box. That's a good book to read on this. These are things that defy the deceptive mastery of the, the mastery of deception and evolution, which is a complete fable and lie. And every area of it has been exposed and shown by solid scientific evidence to be such. People can choose to believe a lie and reject the love of God. God says in his word that he will give them strong delusion to believe a lie that they all might be condemned that did not love the truth. Or we can come to the place like the prodigal son where we begin to have a hunger for what is ultimately trustworthy and to loathe those things in our lives that have left us empty and desolate. Our being was created to find completeness, fulfillment only in God. For we were created by God for his pleasure and to find our ultimate meaning and destiny and fellowship with him. And the moment we choose not to fear God, like Lucifer, who thought he could be independent from the one that was the very source of his life, or like, like Eve, who fell into the same principle through an indirect way with the temptation of the tree. And at the moment she did that, she was no longer perceiving God as ultimately trustworthy, but doubting God and not recognizing and lost therein the fear of God. Lucifer, the moment he did that, lost the fear of God. So did Eve. But the secret to come into a relationship of intimacy with God is to become one that is absolutely in utter awe of the holiness of God and of the greatness of his mercy that he could possibly give us 
mercy and destiny. To be, just be in awe of that. And in humility before God, as Christ said, the Pharisees were thanking God for how righteous they were, how they fasted more than others and gave money more than others. And they were just filled with the deception of their own self-performance that was feeding ego and independence from God, even though they thought they were serving God. Their heart was far from God. But Christ said there was this publican, which were the tax collectors for the Roman government that the Jews considered traitors. But this publican, Christ said, was beating his breast and bending his face into the dust of the earth and beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and repeating it from the depths of his heart. Christ said that man was truly justified before God. And it's in that way that we receive Christ. And it is also the secret to abiding in Christ. That verse I said, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It involves spending quality time in prayer. where We learn to be in awe of God and to humble ourselves before God. It involves learning to wait on God so that all of our own presumptuous self-initiations are curbed back as we are in awe of God. It mentions this in Ecclesiastes. I could turn to it, I suppose. It's a little harder to find. But Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. This speaks of learning to wait on God learning to curb our own self-initiations that come out of self where we're so presumptive and not aware of whose presence we're in and enter in to just being still and knowing he's God. And then out of that, allowing that great awe and humility of who God is to begin to see him with the eye of your heart, to let the hardness break and melt and then out of that, you will begin with the eye of your heart to see the greatness of God's love to you. How did we receive Christ? It was when we saw from our heart the greatness of his mercy that we could have and chose to reach out with our spirit and faith towards that love revealed in the mercy of God, which can only be possible out of first acknowledging the holiness of God and required judgment. And it is in the recognition of the mercy of God and that we could receive forgiveness if we repent, that our soul opens up like an open hand from a clenched fist of rebellion or like a black hole in outer space that is trying to fill the void that can only be filled by God with the deluding things of this world and the principles of independence and false religions from God. And the more desperate we are grasping to fill that void, the more there is destructiveness around us in our choices because it is coming out of the void of self that can never be complete except in the Creator. And But the moment we reach out with our soul, 
Our hand is now in a state that represents selflessness as opposed to a fist that represents rebellion. It says in Romans chapter 4 that the law of boasting is excluded by the law of faith. Yes, self-worship, self-glory. You're no longer trusting in yourself. You're reaching out from self and the deception of self in surrender. And then the Spirit of God will come as you ask God to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins and, and to be made white as snow, cleansed in your soul by the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven. When you cry out, then the Spirit of God will come in to dwell with your spirit in that state of selfless trust. And now your spirit and soul cannot close back because the Spirit of God is dwelling with your spirit and soul. So now this represents a new divine nature, a new divine seed that you have within you. And now you want to let that seed grow by continuing to abide in God through a life of prayer and fellowship with God. Through seeking him, instead of being focused on self, allowing the deception of self-performance to creep in. In this passage in Galatians, we have a description of it. It's called the hearing of faith. The hearing aspect is that receptivity in our heart to who God is that comes out of the fear of God, which is a choice to recognize God for who God is. The hearing is the receptivity to the truth of who God is as it is reflected in creation that points to the truth of who God is as well. And the faith is the opening up of our soul and spirit in surrender and trust in the recognition of God as ultimately trustworthy because of who he is and who he is to us personally and the power to assure mercy and forgiveness if we repent out of the recognition of his holiness and our deserved judgment. In this passage of scripture, this passage is pointing out In verse 5, it says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. It's by a receptivity to who God is that results in a trust towards God where our spirit reaches out, reciprocating the love. In Galatians, it says more than once that faith works by love. It is the perception of God's love out of his mercy that brings the response of our spirit and faith, our soul and faith. Faith then works by love. It also says, we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and truth and have no confidence in the flesh. No, we don't trust in our own self-performance, in our own effort. We recognize that our relationship with God is because of trusting in his mercy and in his grace 
and learning to do everything out of that relationship so that we are not filled with our own presumptive ways of self-initiation. There is a process where we start out in our own ways, but we learn through our mistakes to more and more abide in God's ways and allow the deceptions of our own ways to be exposed and repent of them. This is what was talked about in the chapter I referred to earlier in Hebrews chapter 4. Now I want to bring in the Feast of Tabernacles at this point in relation to everything I've been sharing. So I'm going to explain the Feast of Tabernacles as well in relation to all of this, but first in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this in verse 7, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall through the same example of unbelief. This is speaking of the, the Israelites that fell into unbelief and did not enter the promised land for those that are new. The way we enter the rest is by giving diligence or laboring to learn to abide in God in such a way that the things that we tend to do out of self and out of presumption, we're coming to God always to have ourselves reproved before God of those things in us that are not of God. And that involves great reverence and great humility. And it involves a life that is always ready to repent and repents as things are exposed. If we don't have the power to let go of things that we want to find fulfillment in, that we feel God, we can justify before God or whatever it is. The basic meaning of the word Sabbath, it's talking about the Sabbath here. It's talking about entering into a rest. For it says in this passage also uh, about the Sabbath. And it's talking about the spiritual Sabbath, entering into the rest, where we cease from our own works as God did from his on the Sabbath day. Our own self-initiation. I don't have time to go into this passage. But there's two words. The word idle basically has the meaning of self-initiation. We can make our own image of God. It doesn't have to be a literal physical carving. We can perform, we can decide God as a certain way like Cain and perceive him as someone that required, was requiring and demanding and 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 yet totally not recognize the goodness of God that's behind the holiness of God. So like Cain, he was offended at the consequences of God's holiness and the curse and the judgments that came upon the earth. 
And so he became alienated from God. He began to look at God as an enigma and he was offended and began to form an image of God that was demanding, that was holy, but he didn't recognize the mercy of God. And so he believed that he had to bring his own works before God and his own performance before God. When God gave the Ten Commandments, his intention was not that they would end up in a relationship with him out of performance without genuine fellowship with him. The intention of the laws mentioned here in Galatians was because there needed to be a curbing of the tendency of man and his iniquity as a nation and also to preserve the messianic seed. I can't go into that for time. But here in Hebrews, God is revealing these two things. One is to, to choose to enter the Sabbath, to choose to let go of our own self-projections of God, our own self-initiations of the things we want to do. And so we form an image of God and of what we believe God would want so that we can actually fulfill our own independence from God. And yet we still believe he's the true and one God. How many people are doing that? They believe in a distorted image of God that's either like Cain, where God is demanding and he's legalistic, and they don't see the goodness of God or a God that has no integrity in his love and there's no understanding of judgment and of holiness. It says in the word of God, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And Paul the apostle said, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Some have some perception of God. It's like a Santa Claus that embraces the devil himself and will embrace all religions, ends up in that direction. Too much to share. In verse 12 of Hebrews, it says, concerning entering this rest, it says what? It says, here's the solution. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's two edges to the spirit of God's Word. One is the holiness of God and the other is the mercy of God. Or you can say the truth of God and the grace of God as it's often described in the New Testament. There are many things that I wanted to share in this passage and I've already been preaching for an hour so I'm just going to have to touch on these things in Galatians. In verses, the rest of Galatians, from verses 6 to 29, I said this, those that are of faith are those that out of entering and abiding in the fear of God are birthed into a reciprocating relationship of faith by love towards God that as such obeys out of a relationship with God rather than self-initiated performance as the focus on self through the law to expect to please God. I know it's kind of, you know, it's just quick notes. But here's what I want to point out. That in Galatians chapter 3 here, Galatians chapter 3,
There's a clear understanding by the Apostle Paul that the gospel existed well before the law and that the purpose of the law was not to take us out of a relationship with God, but it did have that effect of exposing sin all the more in order to drive us like a schoolmaster to recognize our need of the mercy of God. But Paul the Apostle brings out something very interesting about Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. You know where that verse can be found? It can be found in Genesis 22, 12 to 18. So I want to point out something quite amazing from Genesis 22, 12 to 18. So I'm going to read that section. This is about Abraham offering his son Isaac. Listen to what the Lord says. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. He's about to slay Isaac. Believing that God could even raise him from the dead, Paul said. What does God say when he intervenes? The first thing that God says to Abraham, he says, For now I know thou fearest me. The obedience of Abraham came out of a heart that was receptive to who God is, that burst such a level of faith and trust in who God is, that he came to the point of offering the very greatest things and greatest blessings that God gave him, came to the point of literally offering the thing that was most dear to him of his own free will back onto God. And God intervened and he said this, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, from me. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. The secret of abiding in God is out of the fear of God. And we continue to read, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemies." And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So the secret to obeying the voice of God is birthed out of the fear of God, which births hearing a receptivity to who God is, out of which comes the response of faith to that perception of the love of God. And out of that came an obedience in Abraham so that what Paul the Apostle is talking here about is that when he says, before the gospel was preached, in verse 8, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. And that's what the Lord is talking about here.
no time to continue on in this message. But I want to bring out about the Feast of Tabernacles also in closing, as I promised. The Feast of Tabernacles, which begins today, involves a celebration of the bringing in of the first fruits, certainly. But they are to take the branches of trees and build booths. And those booths, they're to live in, even when it's cold, and they're to be made in such a way that there's lots of open holes so that you can see the stars, you can see out of them. It was to be a reminder of their journey from Egypt to the promised land. Now here's the symbolism of these booths that they were required to dwell in instead of their own homes even if they had to suffer discomfort. The tendency of us is to build our own dwelling place here in the world. And so what happens is there is a tendency for the heart to become hard, to fall into a deception where the electron starts circling around the nucleus of the atom and forming a hard shell. Or where... We no longer can see beyond ourselves the stars and our ultimate destiny with God. But we begin to build our own habitation and we're totally enclosed in our own world. And what breaks us out of that shell of those electrons and those things in our lives having such a hard spin that our heart is hard and it's focused on those things and cannot see the purpose for which we are created and our destiny in relationship with God. What breaks it? It is in electricity. What breaks that hard shell of electrons is the focus on the negative out of which comes the focus on the positive the holiness of God and the mercy of God. And then the hardness is shattered. But there's a buildup that must happen. It's not, we need to spend time seeking God, not allowing ourselves to, to want and live for things that are merely temporal. Whether it even be a ministry where we want people to look up to us and we don't even realize that deception is in our heart. So we learn to break up the fallow ground through a life of prayer and seeking God and spending time in his word and with God's people that we would not be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, but enter into God's ultimate purpose to bring forth a corporate bride that he can inhabit. That is his ultimate purpose. And so we look at ourselves in this world as strangers and pilgrims as the word of, pilgrims, as the word of God says. As it says there, in the scripture, that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, for here we have no continuing city. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is a picture of our abiding relationship with God out of the fear of God that does not allow this world to be our home, but God to be our dwelling place our place of delight and habitation forever in heaven. He is coming for a corporate bride and he's calling his people 
to repent of the shells of control that they form over their congregations where they do not let the members of the body freely flow in the gifts of the Spirit, where they're prayerless, where they're used to just having a program, and instead start your church service. Don't complain about so few people coming to the prayer meeting. Make the church service a prayer meeting. Leadership, get on your knees. Get on your faces. And all the congregation, get on your faces and your knees and be in awe of who God is until you become so sensitive to the glory of who he is that out of that great humility, there's a breaking and a melting that happens in the heart and a deep turning out of which will spring a purity of liberty and expression of love unto God that comes out of the revelation of who he is. As King David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple all the days of my life. The beauty of God comes out of the wholeness of God. And the wholeness of God comes out of the holiness of God. And to the degree we are conformed to the holiness of God, to hate what God hates and love what God loves, because we are in conformity to his love, is to the degree we enter into a wholeness in our life and a greater and a greater liberty that brings a greater wholeness and a greater beauty and causes us to see the greater beauty and the greater glory of God so that the things of this world no longer can manipulate us and draw us in a direction of deception, whether it be the law or some false philosophy or that justifies a life of independence or whatever it may be. Well, this has been a very long message. May God bless you. I look forward to sharing and serving Christ more to bring forth his purpose in these last days. And I desire to start places of prayer. I don't have the resources or the money to do it. And I'm not a nonprofit society, but if any of you are so led to support this work and be part of this vision, then thank you for your support. God bless you. Through prayer, through material support or whatever, I believe God will give me the resources and direction and connections that I don't initiate with God's people to be part of bringing forth the corporate bride of Christ for his coming in these last days. Thank you for listening to this message.